Um, we want you to know that there's a Savior out there that loves you and can redeem your situation in your life, and he's a good God. And I, I'll attest to that, uh, me personally. I know what Jesus Christ has done for me. I know where I would be with for, what Jesus didn't um, save my soul uh, 40 years ago uh, when I was just a young five-year-old kid um, sitting in a Sunday school classroom. A lady by the name of Mabel Huff told me that there was a Savior out there who loved Jimmy Brown. And loved him so much um, that he gave his life for him. And it was new, new news for me because I'd come in from a broken family. My mom was divorced and she was a single parent for a while. Had three sisters. So the four of us were looking for hope. And we didn't have much hope and at that time. And um, someone introduced my mom to Jesus Christ. Put her name in a list at a church on a prayer list. And... Uh, cared enough about her soul to um, send someone and someone came knocking at my mom's door and told her about Jesus. And my mom gave her life to Jesus and became a Christ follower. And then we started going to church in a matter of six to eight weeks. Every one of my siblings came to know Christ too. And so when I stand here today, um, we're just not blowing smoke. We believe Jesus can redeem your life. And uh, it's the greatest news and having a relationship with him changes everything those of you who know christ am i correct about that it changes everything i love easter because it brings hope because uh, I, I love all the elements of easter but i love that the tomb is empty and jesus is alive and he did what he said he was going to do he he lives and he lives in many of us and he lives in in, in my life too everything changes though uh, when you switch from darkness into light. And so 40 plus years ago, when I made that decision to trust Christ, I moved from darkness, a life headed away from God, a life of uh, just desolation. And I was hopeless. My family was hopeless. And then we met Jesus Christ. Everything changed. I mean, it was like we went from dark to light and there was hope. And there was a God that cared for us and loved us and wanted to, to lead us through his life. And you know what? In all those years, Christ has never left me or, or forsaken me. He's been with me the whole journey. And I, and I know where I'd be. Uh, my family is filled with alcoholism, and I would be an alcoholic. I'd be a, a drunken gambler. Um, I'm a pretty ornery person, and I'd be in a lot of places that probably wouldn't be very Christ-like. So when I stand here today, I, I love telling you the good news of Jesus. I could talk to you about a lot of stuff, but nothing excites me more than this because this relationship is the most important relationship on planet earth because it affects here and it affects eternity everything changes when you flip the switch from darkness to light chris or new year's eve moving from 1999 to the year 2000 was a very tumultuous time in our world and it was what we called y2k and it seems like uh, uh, long ago but on our horizon if you remember that there were all kinds of stories floating around that every computer in the world would crash and that gas uh, pumps wouldn't work, and, and that the world would come to an end, that all the grids that contained power would shut down in our world. And so people began to store away beans and rice, and get, they'd get bunkers in the mountains. And, I mean, there was this fear and panic amongst our world, even amongst some Christians. It was just, I stood back and watched it, and I, you know, my, my thought on take on that is, well, if it's in the world, the rapture occurs, praise God, I'm going home. Um, and so why pack up anything? You know, it's just, can't take it with me anyhow. Um, and so I watched all these, uh, this fear begin to envelop our world. And most of you remember that time. We were even camping that summer at Indiana Dunes, and we ended up beside a guy that was in a, a, a camper and uh, got to talk to him. And he was banking on he hadn't paid his taxes for 10 years. And he was banking on Y2K that somehow that the computers would be all blown up and they would lose all his paperwork. So he was, for him, Y2K was bring it on, baby, bring it on. And uh, it was just an interesting dynamic that took place. Anyhow, it's, it was New Year's Eve. And we're glued to our TVs. And probably most of you were too, if you're really honest with me. And so we were down into the basement of a home that we lived in. There weren't any egress windows, so it could get really dark in there. And so we were downstairs, and we were watching, for the first time in my life, we watched, like, other parts of the world that were 12 hours ahead of us celebrate their New Year's. Like, we're going to celebrate Fiji. Like, and so they were 12 hours ahead, and the New Year came in, and nothing happened. It's like, well, it's only going to happen in the USA then. So we're going to have the computers crash in the USA. Anyhow, we're getting close to the ball dropping. I'm in my basement, and... Um, 
I decided I would have some fun. Imagine that. Um, and so I snuck out of the room about four or five minutes left till the new year was coming in. And I walked, worked my way over to the other side of our basement. And I went to the power where the main power came in. And I stood at our breaker box. And, and I heard people counting down. You know, they began to count down 30, 29, 28, 10. And I got down 10, 9, 8. And I grabbed a hold of the main circuit breaker on the other side. Now, these were all Christians in our house, by the way, and with kids. And as soon as zero hit, I just flipped the switch off. Poof, everything went black. You should have heard what I heard in that basement. <laughs> all of a sudden, people were like, maybe, well, what's going on? Something did happen. And I tell you, I was just like a little kid there, just laughing, just on my other side, wanting to just make this linger a little longer, you know, just... Could hear kids squeal and you know and people say, "Oh, you know, just 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 mad." Use your imagination. I flipped the switch. We went from light to dark, and I I'm convinced that three quarters of them thought they lost their salvation in that room. You know, just it was just it was an amazing moment that took place. And so I didn't let them linger too long. Three hours, and I, I just decided to. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I flipped the switch up and turned it back on and light went back on. And so I worked my way back into the room and they saw me come back in and they hung me. And I, we had a resurrection that took place at Easter and here I am. <laughs> um, but something took place that was just uh, uh, darkness to light, light to dark. And there was this panic and it all took place because there was this switch um, that was flipped one way or the other. And I'm convinced that there can be a point in our lives that where we, we move from darkness to light, something has to flip. A switch has to flip in our lives, and the, the switch is Jesus Christ. And when we flip that switch, we go from a darkness, desolation, a, a life away from God, headed to hell. And when we join his team, become one of his team mentors, and become a Christ follower, everything changes, and we're brought into the light. I like how... First Peter 2.9 says, we move from darkness into glorious light. And in this room and in the link and across the internet and across our world that are watching, there are many people who are living in darkness and they haven't flipped the switch and found Jesus Christ and walked into this glorious light and this hope that can only be found in him. And when you do, everything changes and there's hope. Those of you who are Christ followers, am I right about that? There's hope in that when you flip the switch to Jesus Christ. The cross reminds us of, of what took place in order for that to happen. I want you to just listen to me as I read this account here of what took place on the cross. And we're going to look at the elements of Easter because you can't get, deny the cross because Christ had to go to the cross in order to be resurrected. But I'm going to read from Scripture, and I just want you to listen regarding the crucifixion. Just listen to this as I read uh, from Scripture today regarding what took place and, and during the crucifixion. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in front of the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. When they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults him, shaking their heads and saying, so who are you? And are you going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. So they hurled these insults like, are you really who you said you were? In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him. Among themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe him. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It was a sixth hour. Darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it in a, on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. 
The curtain of the temple was torn from two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So there's this moment in history. Not only does our Bible record it, but if you go back and look in historical accounts by Josephus, you will see that he records this event and that there was a great man who lived, who was on a cross and died and crucified. But we can't stop at the cross and we're going to push forward of the cross. And today we're going to walk through that whole journey of Easter. The cross removes the past. We need to refocus on that. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you need this Bible, take it home with you. It's yours, your keep. It's a gift from us. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 8. Keep your hand up and ushers will be glad to place a Bible in your hand. Romans chapter 8, three verses 1 and 2. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read it together. Romans chapter 8, stand with me and we'll read it together, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this. Ready? Read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You may have a seat. There's this reminder in scripture for those of us, for those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus, who who said, I'm going to trust in God and and believe that he died on the cross. And I'm going to take this free gift that he offers to everyone in this room in the link. He offers it to you. And there are many of us here who took that gift. And he says, now that you've come to Christ, there is no longer no condemnation. No one could ever condemn you for your sin. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you will ever do, everything that's past and present, Jesus took it to the cross. And so we don't allow others to condemn us and Satan can't condemn us of our sin because Jesus said, guess what? I died for that. I died for every bit of that, every sin you'll ever commit. We could be buried in our sins and in our guilt and our shame, and we could be hopeless and unable to find freedom. But because Christ took our sins and we accept that gift of salvation, we are no longer condemned. I need you to know this by faith today, and it's difficult sometimes to wrap your mind around this. When you move from darkness to light, whatever you've done, however dirty and filthy you feel, In that moment when you cross over, Christ not only died for you, but he offered you salvation. And for those of you who haven't trusted Christ, no matter how dark, no matter how dreary, no matter what sin, no matter what felony, no matter if there's an abortion, no matter if if there's an addiction, no matter if there's a murder, no matter what there is, Christ died for that. And he guarantees if we take that free gift, he washes all that away. Guaranteed. You don't have to be condemned with your past. You see... We don't make Jesus unclean. He makes us clean. When he takes our sin, we don't make him unclean. He makes us, un- he makes us clean. Stop letting sins condemn you to Christ's followers, he's saying in Romans 8. Listen, he died for your sin. Every sin you've committed and every sin you will continue to commit. Don't let Satan beat you up with a barrage of thoughts that says you are unworthy to live, to serve, and to receive his grace. And for those of you who've never made this decision, don't ever think that you have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus Christ because you could never do nothing good enough to ever get to God. It's by grace through faith that there's salvation. And so maybe you're in here saying, well, Jim, you don't know my past and it's pretty ugly and you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I said this week and you don't know how I treated someone and you don't know how many of these things are in my past. Let me tell you, Christ died for all of that. You could never be clean enough. You don't have to say, well, one day when I get it all together, I'll come to Jesus. Listen, Jesus died for you in the very worst condition you ever found yourself in. Guaranteed. The cross says, yes, There are broken people in our world and they need hope. The cross says there are worthless people in our world and they need hope. The cross says there are people who think they are with value. I want to give you value. 
It screams, this cross behind me screams, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. The cross screams, it's not too late, it's not over. The cross screams, there's hope for you. What does that mean to us today? How does that affect us? Well, for me personally, it means that there's times when I fall, and yes, I do sin. I know it's hard to imagine, but I do sin. I sin, and what it means is that Jesus not only died for my past, he died for my future in, in the present condition, and I can go to him and say, thank you, Jesus. Can, uh, please forgive me, I sins. And he says, done. It's been sealed at the cross. I did it at the cross, Jim. There's nothing you could add. In fact, it was a heavy load, but I died for your sin. I'm no longer condemned when you follow Christ. Have you ever seen a condemned building? You know, if you go to the inner city and you find condemned buildings, you often walk into these condemned buildings in the inner city and they're filled with drug dealers or people who are pushing drugs. It's not uncommon to go in a condemned building and find rickety steps that you shouldn't climb. It's not uncommon to go in a condemned building and find mice and rats crawling everywhere. It's not uncommon to find needles where people are shooting up. It's not a place that you go and change your baby's diapers. It's condemned. You don't visit places that are condemned. And when the city inspector comes, he puts a sign. He says, no trespassing. Don't go there. You don't belong there. And there are many people who like to feel like that 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 building is worthless. It's the same with us. When we're in a condition of sin before we come to Christ, in reality, from a, a spiritual perspective, we could be condemned. We could be have no hope. It's no trespassing. We could say there's no hope. But listen. We're not a building that gets bulldozed over by the city. We're human beings that Christ has died for. And he says, you should never be in this condition because there's hope. I can restore that condition. I took that condemned sign that goes on you and I've taken it to the cross. And you no longer have to be condemned. I died for you. I can restore that dark, rickety condition that you find yourselves in. You are no longer condemned when you come to Jesus. Anybody glad for that, by the way? You're no longer condemned when you come to Jesus. Now listen to me. There's an enemy called Satan that likes to believe just the opposite or tell you the opposite. And all day long, you know what he does? He goes to God and says, hey, there's Jimmy Brown. He's sinning again. He's a loser. He's not valuable. Hey, he messed up. He's a leader at Grace Community Church. Look at that sinning life. There's no way he should be able to preach. And Jesus says, cover with my blood, cover with my blood. He's saved. He's redeemed. He's justified. Go to the cross, Satan. You've been defeated. Day and night, Jesus intercedes for me and for you. So that's good news. Because truth be known, we do sin. It's also good news for those you don't have a relationship because you can walk from dark to light and you can have that relationship that changes everything. John 3.17 says it this way. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. That's why he came. That's why we have Easter. Easter's a story of a resurrection. Easter's a story of hope. There's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We will not get a sign placed on us that says, bring the bulldozer in, they're worthless, put them on the shelf, take them to Goodwill, have 50% off Saturday, and sell them away. They won't do that. We're valuable. We're top shelf material. You won't find us in a pawn shop. No one wants to get rid of us. The work of the cross took all the shame, all the filth, all the guilt and renewed the condemned sign from our lives and gave us a new identity. And I am grateful for that. And truth be known, he wants to give it to some of you today too. Romans 6, 18 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You're free. Your chains have been shattered. I love this. This is great news. You can't go to Walmart and get this. And you won't find this on Sunday morning television. You find it in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can cash in. You can never give anybody enough to say, here, can I buy my salvation? Listen, I'm a zillionaire. Hey, I want to buy my way into, into heaven. You can't do it. Works can never do it. Jesus said, I love you from the cross. When God looks at those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, he sees us covered. It says that we're slaves to righteousness. It means we can't get away from it. So Jesus looks at us and God looks at us and he says, you know what? Righteous. You're declared righteous. I don't understand other than that. That is incredible love and grace. There's no way we could be declared righteous with the lives we live other than Jesus makes us righteous because of his life. 
Now, when I think of the cross, I understand forgiveness. Like I can forgive somebody and you can too. It's easier to forgive somebody. It's like if someone has offended you or done something against you, it's real easy to go and, and finally get to a point and sometimes it's more difficult, but I understand forgiveness. I can forgive someone of what they've done to me. Be quite frank. I'm not a person who's jealous, has a jealous problem, or a person who holds grudges. I have plenty of other problems, but I don't have that problem. And so it's easy for me to forgive because all I have to do is look at my life and think about what Jesus forgives me of. And so I understand. I can wrap my mind at the cross says, I forgive you. I can put my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around when Jesus says, Jim, you're no longer guilty of what you've done. And I want to say, oh, yes, I am. The smoking gun is in my hand. There's a bunch of witnesses. You could bring them. Listen, they'll tell you what I did wrong. Here they are. Bring the witnesses. And when Jesus sees us, even though we've done the act of sin, he says, you know what? Even though you're a felon, even though you have this sin in your life, guess what? You're no longer guilty. I cannot fathom that other than only God. I mean, there I am, I'm standing before the judge. I'm guilty. Here's the gun. It's still in my side. Here's the bullet that I shot. There's the dead person. And Jesus says, Jim, you're not guilty anymore. Church, that's great news. And only God could do that because he took all that guilt, all that shame, all those sins to the cross, and he died for them. Not only does he forgive us, but we're no longer guilty anymore think about that. It's good news, isn't it? It's great news today. But we're not very good with receiving that good news because you know what we like to do? We like to carry around all the bad stuff that we did. And and we like to remind ourselves and we carry it around. And it's like, well, I don't know, God, I was committed to sin in my marriage. I don't know, God, I did this to my child. I don't know, God, I stole from my employer. And there's this part of us because of the sin nature, we want to carry this stuff. And what happens, it defeats us. It keeps us less than the redemptive potential that we should be at. And so you find all these people who are Christ followers still carrying their baggage. And Jesus saying, take it off. Why carry it again? I took it to the cross. And then you have all these unsaved people who are riddled in shame, riddled in guilt, who don't have relation, and they can't do anything with it because they haven't crossed over from darkness to light. They need to go to the cross and say, I received that gift. Then you have some people, you know, and I mean, we carry it in the back. We like to carry it up front. And what we carry up front is what people have done to us. We carry it right out front. And you remember, when you look down there and you say, oh, yeah, I remember that. September 16th, 1984, you carry it right out in front and you're angry and you're bitter and you won't forgive anybody and you have this junk in front of you. And not only do you carry it on the back, but you like, and you're bold and you walk in your room, you say, I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm upset and I don't need you to know it. And you carry it right out front. And Jesus saying, not only did I die for your stuff, I died for this stuff. Quit carrying the junk. And so we have these people are all messed up. And Jesus is saying, listen to me. I died for everybody's sin. Quit taking it off the cross. That's my responsibility. I died for it. And when you take it off, there's so much freedom. Because the Bible says we're slaves to righteousness and freedom. Truth be known is this. When God looks at Christ's followers, he sees us as spotless, holy, pardoned, blameless, and free. And you know why? Because it's through Jesus' work that we're able to be that way. Not only did that take place at the cross, but turn to Colossians chapter 2. Please, turn over. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Please turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Not only does that take place, not only were our sins dealt with there, but look look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says this, when you were dead in your what? What's your Bible say? Sins. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you what? Alive with Christ. 
He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the what? Cross. Stop. Listen to me. Everything you've ever done, every law that you've ever broken, every sin you've ever committed, Paul reminds us to the Holy Spirit that Christ nailed it to the cross in his body. Look what else it says. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now think through that with me a second. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. Not only did he forgive sins, but he, when he went to the cross, he disarmed the enemy. He got rid of what the enemy is able to do. I mean, look back with me. When you were dead, he says, in your sins and your uncircumcision, your sinful nature, God made you alive, having canceled the written code with his regulation that was against you and stood opposed you. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. So not only is there forgiveness that takes place at the cross, there was this, this power shift. There was the power of Satan defeated. And the Bible says that the cross disarmed him. What's that mean to us, by the way? Well, let me try to explain that to you today. You're walking down an alley in Chicago. It's nighttime. You're going to a restaurant and you're hungry. So you're by yourself. And so it's dark out and you're heading down this alley and it's three or four blocks long. And you get about halfway there and there's this dumpster that you notice along the side, but you don't see anybody. And you walk past and behind this dumpster, this guy jumps out. He takes his arm and puts it around your neck. And then from the back, you feel this cold piece of steel wrapped right up against your temple. He pulls out a 357 Magnum and he puts it right up to your temple. And he says, give me your money. In most cases, who's in control in that moment? The guy with the 357 Magnum, because he says, if you don't give me your money, I pull the trigger. And so you say, take the money. You got to submit to that power because he has authority over you. He's more powerful than you are. He can do what he wants because he can bully you around with this 357 Magnum. You have nothing that you can do against that power. But suppose the next night you have short-term memory loss and you go down the same alley. And you're walking down along and you're hungry again. And you think, I need that steak that I didn't get last night. I can't remember why I didn't get it. But you're walking down this alley. And out behind this dumpster, this guy jumps out again. In comes this arm around your neck. All of a sudden, the slow-term, short-term memory kicks in. Oh, no, not again. And it kicks in. And then out of nowhere, the gun comes again and he puts it against your temple And you're like, oh, boy, here we go again. I forgot about it. But then out of nowhere, this this arm comes from behind. You don't see who it is. And it comes and it grabs the gun, the 357 Magnum, and it removes it from this man that's hiding behind the dumpster. And it takes it and throws it away. And all he's left with is a finger and a thumb. And he's got a finger pushed against your temple. And he says, give me your money. Let me ask you. Who's in control now? Does he have power and authority over you with a finger and a thumb? Give me your money. And you're thinking, you got it last night. I don't have any. Give me your money. Who has authority? Who has authority in that moment? The guy with the finger and the thumb doesn't. So you pull out some moves, some self-help classes and self-defense and you take him down and you knock him out because all he has is a finger and a thumb. And Christ said, when I went to the cross, you know what I did when Satan walks into your life now? I removed his ammo. I removed his weapon. And all he has is a finger and a thumb against Christ's followers. And you go kick his butt. That's what happened at the cross. He disarmed the enemy. But listen to me. You clap. You say, oh, I agree with that, Pastor Jim. But listen to me. How many of you are bullied around by the enemy with a finger and a thumb? When in reality, he doesn't have any power over you. And all you have to say in Jesus' name, be God. See, when you walk into the saving relationship with Jesus and you begin to understand, you don't let the enemy bully you around. And you don't let him do things in your family. And other people might say, well, since that happens, that means you're done. No, it doesn't. It means you get back up in the power of Jesus Christ and you win. 
He disarmed the enemy at the cross. Okay, the cross gets rid of the junk of our past and the sin. It gives us unusual weaponry over the enemy. But then there's this other part of Christianity that the Easter account, the tomb. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 17. The vacant tomb says, I'm coming to rescue you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 and 18. The vacant tomb says, I'm coming to rescue you. The resurrection account says Jesus is coming back. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 17. Paul says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Futile. Because if he hasn't been raised, then we're worshiping a bunch of bones. And it says this, you are still in your sins if Christ hasn't been raised. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul says, in other words, listen, if Christ wasn't resurrected, this Christianity is a joke. But because he is, not only do you have life-saving power here, but you have it when you continue to live and you have it in eternity. Picture, if you can, with me. It's hard for us to do this, and here's why. Because we know what happened on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. But picture with me. There's this, this early fledgling church that's just starting, and thousands of people are beginning to follow this master teacher called Jesus who claims to be the son of God. And he tells them stories like, hey, I'm, going to, I, I'm the Messiah. In three days, I'll be resurrected. They hadn't witnessed too many resurrections other than Lazarus and Jesus said, come forward. And so there's this fledgling group of believers who've only been about this for about three years. And they're following this master teacher and thousands of people are coming to listen to him on Sundays and Saturdays and Mondays and Tuesdays because when he teaches, there's authority and people are being healed. And it's like, this man is different. And now he goes to the cross and he dies. And right before he goes to the cross, his very inward circle, they flee. Even Peter, who was just one of his closest followers, was asked on three different occasions, Are you a follower of the way? Are you one of disciples? And he said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I mean, even the very inner circle, they were afraid because they had never seen a resurrection and they thought Christ was dead. And they were, they were, they were, uh, they were scared if they acknowledged that they were Christ followed because their their, their leader was dead on the cross. And so when people were going to the tomb, they were going as if it was a funeral. Now, it's hard for us because when we think of the tomb, we think of this open tomb and resurrection. And we think of Easter, it's like, yeah. And when they were thinking, like, oh, man, I got to go to Yoderkopf this weekend. And so it was a funeral mode. And they're thinking, I got to go. And, 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 and scripture tells us that they carried spices with them. And so they're going to Yoderkopf. They're ready to sign the guest book and give their donation uh, to, to something in Jerusalem. And so they're hopeless in some account. And they're grieving as they walk to the grave to see the tomb. And many of them probably thought, maybe he wasn't who he said he was. Maybe he really was powerless. Maybe I just wasted three years of my life. Maybe this is a fairy tale. And and why didn't he come down from the cross when they hurled insults? If he was the son of God, why didn't he come down? Because they were just beginning to understand. They weren't brilliant theologians. They didn't have 2,000 years of bright people understanding and putting things in, in, in covenants. And they were just young, fledgling followers of Christ. And it was as bad as it could possibly be for some of them. They thought Jesus was dead. And so they were grieving. They were mourning. It was a funeral. It was a wake. Many disciples left them. And so when they went to the tomb... There wasn't joy like we experience at Easter. In fact, look at Mark chapter 16. Let's see what they did. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 16. Look at Mark chapter 16, Matthew, Mark 16, and look at verse 1. It says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought what? What did they buy? Spices. 
so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They wanted to give him a proper burial. It was a funeral for them. And then it says this, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? In other words, I'm not strong enough. Are you strong enough? And like, I'm not rolling that tomb, that stone. Who's going, how are we going to put these spices and bury Jesus and have a proper burial? And they were thinking death. It was over. Yet, even in a gesture of love, even though they weren't certain that he was the Messiah, majority of them were still thinking that he was just dead and they just loved this master teacher. And they're saying, how can we remove this this stone? It's big. I mean, I haven't been lifting. You've been lifting? No. When's the last time you pushed a stone? I don't know. When's the last time? And so they had this conversation as real people would. And then it says this, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were what? What's it say? Alarmed. In the other gospels, it identifies this as an angel. So they're walking in. They're thinking, I need to sign the guest book. I'm going to say hi to the relatives and sit up front because I'm part of the family. And then let's have a message. And when they walk in, there's this guy sitting in the tomb. He says, hey, don't be alarmed. Why did he say that? Because they were in shock. When's the last time you had an angel talk to you that's all bright? Huh? Oh, good morning. I mean, so they were in shock. You see, we read this like, why were they in shock? It was an angel. We know it was an angel because they hadn't experienced this before. He recognized that they were alarmed. And then he says this. I mean, it's really good, simple logic. He saw the alarm. Hey, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. And then he says this. He has what? Risen. He's not here. See, the place where they laid him, and so they showed the grave clothes. He said he's not here. And still they're wrapping their mind around this. And there's a passage in the the resurrection account that often gets, gets overlooked. Look what this angel of the Lord said, because Jesus wanted him to say this. Look what he says. But go, tell his what? Disciples and whom? You know, wasn't Peter a disciple? So why did he pull him out? Because even in the moment when Christ was resurrected, even at his first inclination of being the God-man, the resurrected God-man, he still had love and compassion, and he knew that Pete was grieving. Because he had denied Christ three times. And he says, you go to Peter and say, it'll be okay. I love that passage in the resurrection. He extended grace to Pete. And because he knew that he said, no, I'm not a Christ follower. And he was reeling in guilt. And Jesus wanted him to know that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he what? told you so what's their response trembling and bewildered you bet they were the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were what afraid so what does the tomb mean to us here's what it means it means that when we walk to the tomb today and we see a headstone it means jesus isn't here Let's put the vacancy sign out. Let's put it out. He's no longer there. There's room in the tomb. The body's not there. And so if you go to Jesus' tomb, there's a vacancy sign. And vacancy sign means this. Guess what? Jesus is coming to rescue some people. He is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And guess what? There is good hope, not only for back then, but for today at Grace Community. He wants to rescue you. There's vacant tomb means Christ is coming back. I love those promises. Jesus said, hey, take your plastic flowers home. I'm not here. I'm alive and well. Save them for your family. I love that memo. Tell Pete that it's okay. There's no condemnation to those who are Christ followers. You might say, well, Jim, that happened in the past. 
our sins being forgiven and Christ being from the tomb. And here's what I know. It's the centerpiece of Christianity. If it wasn't for the resurrection, Paul says, then pity us if that didn't take place. But it did take place. You look in the biblical accounts, you look in historical accounts, you look in Josephus, who was a historian during this time, who wasn't even a Christ follower, wrote, there was a man that lived who died on a cross, and the report says that he was resurrected, and they never found his bones. The vacant tomb is so good, such good news for us today. The cross removes the sins, disarms the enemy. The vacant tomb says, guess what? I'm coming back to get you, and there's some hope for you. But it didn't stop there. It's like Jesus said, let's just stop there at the resurrection story. Let's sing, he's alive. Let's sing about marvelous life. Praise God. Listen, there's good news beyond that because not only does Christ want to rescue you, he wants to give you this power that he exerted at the resurrection tomb. Look at Ephesians chapter one, Galatians, Ephesians. Off the charts, power is available to us. Now, this is where I really get excited as if I haven't already been. Off the charts, power is available to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Paul says this as a reminder to those who have a relationship with Jesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, in verse 16, I have not skipped, stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Then he says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he says this in verse 19, and his incomparably great power for whom? What does it say? For us who what? Believe that power. It's like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. You might say, well, what's that mean to us, Jim? Here's what that means. Not only does a resurrection mean that he has authority over Satan, it says he has power and authority. It, it know what it means? It means so do we. So how do you know that, Jim? Well, look at, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Not only is Christ seated far above all evil, look at chapter 2 and verse 6. And God raised who up with him? Us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? It means God fights for us. That means you and I positionally have a relationship with Christ. We're seated in heaven. And if you look to your left, guess who's seated beside you? Jesus. You know what else that means? When you look at his feet and you look at your feet, your feet dangle with Jesus' feet. That's pretty cool. And when our feet dangle with Jesus' feet, there's some good power. And that means when we look from this throne seat and you look down, all you see is evil. And you know who's way down there? Satan and his demons. And you have power and authority over him. Go take his lunch money and kick his butt. That's what it says. But listen, if you don't believe that, then you live with this little finger and a thumb and let, you, let it bully around. I'm not living that way. Jesus went through too much to live in me and to give me life. People often ask him, Jim, why do you have so much faith? Because I know who I am in Christ. And you need to know that. We got power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the grave lives in Jimmy Brown. That's good news. And it's good news for you. Don't you believe that today? That is good news. Right now, some of you just, some of you are just, you've never stepped over and you've never trusted Christ. And, and here's the problem. Satan's good at bullying us around, even Christ followers who let sin condemn them. Jesus saying, would you quit it enough now? I've died for that. And we let him bully us around. And then there's this whole other group that the Bible talks about who've never trusted Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says it this way. Listen, if you've never trusted Christ, it says, the God of this age, who is Satan, blinds the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that I just talked about it, of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds, the eyes of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the picture for many people in this room, and you don't even know it. You're walking in darkness. And so you've been blinded by the enemy. It's like you're defeated. And I got to be careful I don't walk off the stage. I mean, it's dangerous. This is the picture. If we were open up the heavenlies right now in this room and in the link and across our world on the Internet are people who are blinded by Satan and they don't even recognize it nor know it. And this condition is darkness and it's hopelessness. And listen to me, this condition, if you don't know Christ, the next step for you when you die is hell. But the good news is this, Jesus can take your blinders off and let you walk from darkness into glorious light, glorious power. That's what Easter does for us. John 12, 46 says it this way. I have come into the world, Jesus said, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Listen to me. There's a God that loves you. You might be in this room and you might deny that there's a God. Let me tell you something. You find a soldier who's in, who's in a, 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 a foxhole in the middle of a military zone. You find someone who's standing after an accident, who's near death. You find people who are near death. You know, how, how, many, how many times have you heard someone cry out, oh, my Buddha? When's the last time you heard that? Or, oh, my Muhammad. Or, oh, my Hare Krishna. You know what people cry out? Because there's this void in our lives that can only be filled by God. They cry out, oh my God, save me. You know why? Because God is real. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart, it says, that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so there's this sense where we recognize that we're in darkness and there's a need of God. And if we we believe in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead and we confess with our mouths that he is Lord, then we are gloriously saved. But truth be known, there are so many people in this room You've got blinders on. And there are people in this room who think they're in the light. They might even come to Grace Community Church. In fact, you might even serve on blitzes. And you might even serve in Kids City. You might serve the youth. You might, you might be an usher. I don't know. And you think that you're saved. And the word of God says, be careful. Because even when your time comes and you stand before God, there will be people who stand before God. And, and you'll say, but God, I did this. And, and God, I, I drove this person to grace. And, and God, I gave my shoes. And God, I gave money for orphans. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's that group who thinks they know Christ. But when they crossed over, they, they, they never genuinely made a decision that was surrendering their will. And then there's this group here that's just in complete darkness. And you don't even know it. And, and God says this, there are so many people right now that live in darkness. And Satan has blinders on your eyes. And you're in this room and, and you're headed for hell. And the cross screams out, I love you. And the tomb says, vacant, I'm coming to rescue you, to give you power. And Jesus said, all it takes is to receive that precious gift of salvation. And you can walk from darkness into glorious light. Church, here's why we meet today. It's not just to come and warm some seats. It's for us to let you know that there's a God who loves you. And today could be the day of salvation. Listen, don't leave this room unless you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. The word of God says this, we're saved by grace through faith. 
not by works. You could never be good enough to get to God. Never. It's by faith believing that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was resurrected. And it's by faith saying, God, I'll surrender as the early disciples said, I'll turn from my evil, I'll turn from my sin, and God, I'll follow hard after you. And when we do that, the word of God says, you are gloriously saved. You come from darkness into light. The same God that rescued me 40 years ago wants to rescue you today. Can we close in prayer? Father God, I know in this room and I know in the link, there are people in this room. There's, there's a variety of people. Some think that because they believe there's a God, yet they've never followed hard after him. And, but they never made, connected it from their head to their heart. And, and there might be a day when they stand before Jesus. In fact, the word of God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And there's not anything in their life that, that shows fruit. God, maybe today they need to say, God, I repent. And God, I I run to you. I will follow you the rest of my life. And there's probably some in this room. I know there are. And there's some in the link. And maybe you're in the back. And maybe you're in a corner. And maybe you're here because your mom invited you. Or or your your wife invited you. or, Or you just go to Easter services once a year. We're glad that you're here. But even our... More than that, we want you to know there's a God that loves you so much that he gave his son and died on the cross for you. He wants you to experience this, this incredible resurrection power. He wants you to experience hope and love and grace. And he wants you to know that you're not condemned and, and your life's not too messed up. And, and that he wants to reach you right where you're at. He wants to, he wants to rescue you. He wants to take you from darkness to light. I believe he wants to do it today. So if you're in this room and you're saying, Jim, boy, that's me. I, boy, I've been playing a game and pretending and maybe I will. He'll tell me to leave. Or maybe I'm here and I just need hope. And I've tried everything. I mean, I, I, I'm against the wall. And if there's a God like that that loves me, why not surrender my life? If that's you, you can do that today because I believe there has to be a starting point. Just, you don't just gradually work into it. You can start today. It's, it's step one. It's just like step one. It's saying, Jim, today I'm going to trust Christ. I don't understand everything. And, and God's not asking you to have everything cleaned up. This is step one. He's saying, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn from my evil ways. And by God's grace, I'm, I'm going to become more like you every day. And I'm going to follow hard after you. I need you, Jesus. If that's you, or God says, believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. So that means already your heart is pounding. Maybe you're sitting there, it's like, man, why am I crying? Why does my heart just feel like it wants to jump out? Maybe what my girlfriend said was true. Maybe what my mom said was true. And maybe you're looking at your life and saying, man, I'm a wreck. It's time to surrender and have that power available to me and that hope that I need. But that's you just right now, just, just surrender. And the way we do that is we confess back through prayer. I believe prayer is a confession of what our hearts already believe. And so you've already made this decision. But as a matter of confession, would you just confess with your mouth through prayer that Jesus is Lord? Would you just do it with me? If you want to trust Christ and you want to move from darkness to light, just pray with me. Let's drive a stake in the ground today. Let's come back and say, yes, on Easter Sunday, 2011, that's when the walk began. That's when it really began. And I'm all out for you, Jesus. Just pray. Just pray with me. Just say, dear God, I already believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Please forgive me my sins. Save my soul. I will follow you, God. I will turn from the path that I've been on, and I will gloriously run after you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Here's what I know to be true. 
already know this to be true because we've already had people respond just as I did 40 years ago. I made that decision to follow hard after God. He never left me. He's never forsaken me. And it's been an un- or incredible journey because I have hope every single day. If you just ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life and you're saying, Jim, I'm going to follow hard after Jesus. Me and Jesus, we're going to go on this journey together, and I'm going to let others know that I'm a Christ follower. If, if you just ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader, I, we need to need, I just need to know it. Just, just hold your hand up, please. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed. Just, just hold it up. We've had people in the morning, come on, don't, be loud and proud. Hold it up. This is nothing to be ashamed about. You're in a safe place. Hold it up there. Just, just say, I'm following hard after God. Praise the Lord. Hold them up in the link. Hold them up. There's Pastor Jeremy's over there. Hold them up. Pastor Rich is there. Hold them up. Don't be ashamed. God, I pray for these individuals. I pray that this commitment, that you'll seal it, God. I pray, God, that from this day forward, that they'll experience new life with you and they'll follow hard after you. And God, they'll work out their salvation with fear and trembling and that others will be drawn to you because of these decisions. Jesus, thank you for still rescuing souls. Just like you did with me and many others, you're still in the business of rescuing souls. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, everyone to stand for a second, please. I also believe this. I also believe this. This is a safe place, for crying out loud. A lot of us know Christ. And even in the first service, we had people who responded to Jesus already. But we like to give you something. As a reminder of the, the commitment that you made, I saw your hands. Praise God. Welcome to the family of God. Best decision you've ever made. Best decision you've ever made. Best decision you've ever made. We want to give you something. It's a, it's a switch cover that you can put in your office, put in your bedroom. Maybe it's a front switch when you first come in. And on this switch, it says, everything changed on April 24, 2011. It's a reminder of that commitment. It'll also keep you accountable. You're a Christ follower now. Everything changes. I am powerful in God. I can walk in that authority. It's a reminder. And we'd love to give you one of these as a reminder of that. But we also love for you to do this. Throughout our services today, we've handed these out. And we've also asked people to, to flip a switch. Crossing from darkness to light as an indicator just to celebrate. Because we need to celebrate this. And so we've had people all day long come up and, and, and flip the switch. I'm going to show you what's happened all the first two services. These are people who went from darkness to light today. Is our God good? Is our God good? But it doesn't stop here. There's some in this room. In fact, there's a large amount in this room, and there's some in the link. Listen to me. We want to celebrate this. Don't be ashamed, loud and proud. You're a Christ father. You have a new identity. You're not that person you were when you came in. You got the power of the cross and the power of the grave. You're new. You're fresh in Christ. And so if you're in the link, Work your way over here. Come flip a switch. We want to give you a plate cover. Just come. Would you come as we sing this last song? Can we celebrate what God is doing? Just come. Please come. Come. Come right here. Come. Come flip a switch. Please come. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. God bless you, man. It's a marvelous light I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame Through the cross you are the truth You are the light, you are the way It's a marvelous light I'm running Out of darkness, out of shame Through the cross you are the truth You are the light God bless you, man. Go ahead and flip the switch there, man. God bless you. Walk right on over here. God bless you, man. Let us stand up for Jesus. Flip any switch you want, man. 
God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> Flip a switch for Jesus. My dead heart now God bless you. <laughs> Sin has lost its power. You, Death has flip, flip, lost its sting. God bless you. Make From sure the grave you've risen. Victoriously. It's marvelous light up running. Out of darkness, out of shame. Through the cross, you are the truth. You are the life. You are the way. Marvelous light I'm out of out of shame. you are the truth, you are the life, Lift my hands and spin around. God bless
Wow. That's a good day. Mm. Lord, we celebrate our risen Savior and that same power that raised Jesus Christ from death to life today has taken over 100 people from death to life. Lord, sometimes there aren't words to say, and these are one of those times. And so we just applaud, Lord, and we just shout, and we just praise you, and we just say, we love you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. Lord, bless these today who have made this bold statement to walk in front of all of us and say, today I'm crossing from death to life. Bless each man and woman and boy and girl who made that bold move today. And I pray that this first day as a Jesus follower would be a precious day and one that they would never forget. And I pray it would be the first of this new life that they're going to live for you. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you. Let this day be just rich in celebration of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday.